They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. And the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. And as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her. He took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak, because they knew who he was. And we thank God for his word, as it still speaks to us today. Rick. Amen. Thanks, Dave, for reading. Uh, Good afternoon, everyone. It's a lovely day out there, isn't it? Uh, I want to start by sharing with you a list of some of the things that I can't do. Okay, you ready for this? I can't touch my toes. Oh, I can't touch my toes, but I can't, you know, like that. I can't cross my eyes. I can't roll my tongue. I can't blow up a balloon. That's the honest truth. I know, I know, I know. Uh, I can't uh, stand up on a surfboard whenever it's in the water, obviously. Uh, I can't bring myself to eat mushrooms. That's the texture, man, you know. Uh, I, I can't go a day without checking Twitter. I've tried. I can't stand near a swan without getting frightened. I can't see the object that you're meant to see in those magic eye pictures. You know what I mean? Just can't, they're not there. Um, and I can't not correct someone whenever I see an apostrophe in the wrong place or used incorrectly. I just, can't, I just need, to, need to tell them. They need to know. And uh, so those are some of the things that I can't do, and I've tried to do them all, and I just can't. And people give me advice. They say, just look harder at the image in the magic eye. I have tried. And then they say, if you just cross your eyes, you'll be able to see it. I can't cross my eyes, so I can't see. And they say, a swan's harmless. No, its beak can break your arm. Uh, And I also had a bad childhood experience. And, you know, if I'm honest, I read the passage that Dave has just read, or passages like that in the Bible, Mark chapter 1, or other chapters of Jesus healing, Matthew 8, or other places, and if I'm honest, sometimes I read passages like that, and in a strange way, it can actually disempower me more than it can encourage me, because it's yet another thing to add to the list of things that I know that I can't do. I, I, I... can't heal like Jesus just we just read about. I, I can't seem to do that. I've tried. You know, I, I've tried to do that and I can get frustrated because I can't actually do what Jesus is doing here in this passage. And people say, what would Jesus do? And I say, well, I know he was loving and I know he was joyful. And I know he did all sorts of th- things, but I read this and I think I can't do that on my own. I, I can't. And perhaps some of you in this room might be like me today. 
You read a passage of God, and for maybe some of you, it fills you with hope and worship and wonder. Brilliant. And for others, maybe it actually disempowers you. You don't feel especially gifted at healing, or you don't maybe pray any special prayers of healing, or you don't feel very equipped for this. And maybe you get frustrated, you feel disempowered, maybe you even feel worthless, or maybe even you might become cynical. But where did we ever get the idea that we can do anything that Jesus asked us to do? Where, where did we ever think that we can do what he can do on our own? Of course I can't heal. Of course I can't. He can. He heals. Only he can heal. I can't. And of course, you know, we might think we're called to be strong, but we're not. We're called to be weak. We can't heal. We pray to the God who is the healer. And we rely on him. If things can be done in our strength, then we don't need God. We can do them ourselves. And so if you think that you can't do the things that Jesus has asked you to do, if that's how you feel today, then actually I want to say you're in a really good place. You're in a really good place. Because actually that might just cause you to lean more heavily on the God who can heal, who does heal, who has healed and still heals. It might cause you not to rely on your abilities, but it might cause you to be more available to him. God isn't after our abilities. It's not our abilities that qualify us. It's our availability to him. And so right at the outset, as we dive into Mark chapter 1, as we see how Jesus is healer today, um, it might have sounded like a strange intro, but we're going to think about how Jesus does, how Jesus did heal, and He does heal. Uh, we're going to think about how actually this doesn't happen through our abilities, but actually He wants us to be available to Him to be kingdom carriers in in this way. And so today, I'd love us to see that it's not about your limitations, but it's actually about the God that we follow and the God that we worship and trust. And so we'll look at Mark chapter 1. I want to consider Jesus as healer. And I want us to see um, some things in this passage that I believe are in the passage, but actually I think are also what I'd maybe call principles in the kingdom. So we see them in the passage. They're in Mark chapter 1, but actually I think they go much wider than the passage and they, are, they kind of serve as principles in the kingdom. So let's dive in. A couple of uh, comments today. I, I think what we see in this passage is that what Jesus did in the church or started in the church, the synagogue maybe is the better phrase for this passage, what Jesus did in the church flowed to the city. Um, uh, we see that. So it starts in Mark chapter 1, certainly this part that Dave read, uh, chapter 1, verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and was teaching. And that was the like the context or the scene being set for where Jesus was about to unfurl his first, in the Gospel of Mark, his first um, example of him being a healer. Of, of his first healing in, chapter, in Mark. Um, and, and what began, what he did in the synagogue, he began there, but actually it didn't stay there. And very quickly it moved from the synagogue to other parts of society. And the other th- things that I want us to note is that all of the beneficiaries of the miracles in Mark chapter 1, of which we've heard about two of, they were all outsiders in the culture. 
They were different, okay? So we meet a, a man with an unclean spirit in Capernaum, and then we meet uh, Peter's mother-in-law um, in the next part. And later on in the chapter, there's a leper, and later on there's... Um, Yes, there, there's, yeah, there's a leper, I've said that. And all of these people are outsiders to the culture. They would have been considered as people who were outsiders. The man was treated an outsider because of, he had an evil spirit, and the behaviors that came as a result meant that people would have treated him as that. No other rabbi, no other rabbi would have shown even an interest in this man. But Jesus did. There's a woman would have been considered an outsider simply because of her gender. Because in Middle Eastern cultures at this time, they would have, uh, women were looked down upon as second-class citizens. They wouldn't have been allowed to speak in public to other men unless their husbands were there with them. And they weren't allowed to worship in the same area of the synagogue as men. And while others ignored her or alienated her, Jesus included and empowered her. And later in the chapter 2, a part that we didn't read, we see a leper, an outsider because of simply the disease that he had, shunned, um, shunned from his church, synagogue, and forced to leave his family, and yet touched by the Messiah. An outcast, a leper, and a woman, all considered to be outcasts, and Jesus was communicating From the very outset of Mark chapter 1, from the very outset of his ministry, he was communicating that outward appearance and physical limitation and cultural differences did not mean exclusion from the kingdom of God. It didn't mean exclusion from his benefits, but Jesus embraced outsiders, he healed the unclean, and he welcomed the broken. And the pattern of Jesus, the pattern that Jesus began there in the church it continues to echo through his kingdom today as we continue to welcome outsiders among us, as we attempt to welcome and embrace those who are different, those who are plagued with diseases, both physical and emotional and relational and spiritual, and they can find healing in Christ. We are part of a kingdom where those things are meant to happen, are meant to be seen. And it's important to see that what Jesus did in just a few, just two people really, you know, a, a mother-in-law and a man you know, who was shunned from society, Jesus just did something in two people in this part of the passage. But what Jesus did in the few, he went on to do with the many. This is what's read in verses 32 and 34, the 34 at the end of the passage. So this is the result. So Jesus heals two people miraculously. We'll talk about that in a moment. But this is what happens at the end. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. This wasn't to be contained. As it moved from the synagogue to society, from the house to the city, from the Jews to the Gentiles, the kingdom of God is expansive. And what Jesus just did in a few, he started in a few, it ended up flowing to the many. What Jesus begins in the church is meant to flow out into the city. What happens in the sanctuary should flow into our society. And that's a picture for us as we gather here week by week. It's not meant to just stay here. 
as good as this is, that's not what this is designed for. We long, of course, to know Sunday by Sunday or gathering by gathering. We long to know the touch and the transformation that Jesus can bring in our, our lives. Many of us have seen that and experienced that. Uh, you know, we seek his healing, both physically and spiritually. We receive his teaching through his word and we encounter his power through his spirit. But it's meant to be more like a river than a reservoir. It's not meant to remain here, you know, closed up and blocked up, not collecting inward experiences for ourselves, not just goosebumps in our arm moments just so that we felt better for an hour. But it's meant to flow outwards. It's meant to equip us and empower us and propel us into the city. Not collecting inward experiences for ourselves, but flowing outwards as we share our encounters with Jesus with others. It starts in a few, but it should flow to the city. It starts in the church. Sorry, it should flow to the many. It starts in the church, but it should flow to the city. What Jesus does among us, he then wants to do through us. So are we rivers or are we reservoirs? Collecting up all the good things of God, yes but allowing them to be shared with others. And we, let, we are part of, you know, we're gathering here on a Sunday in a city that needs healing. It's a city that needs healing too. And Belfast is brilliant. It's broken too. And right now in our news, we're seeing examples of um, brokenness in this city. How can we be used to be kingdom carriers? And, and obviously that's easy to say in a headline sense, in a news headline sense. But actually we see brokenness every day, don't we? Among the people we encounter, the people we live among or serve among, um, socialize with and work with. And what Jesus wants to do in the church to flow through the city, it, it, it will happen best not through just special events now and again or social media campaigns, as brilliant as they can be, but through ordinary kingdom carriers, taking what we encounter from Jesus in here and sharing it in our everyday lives with the world out there. I love a quote that Alan Scott um, has read it on a blog. I don't know if it's found its way in his book, but it says this. It says, The church of the future will not only bring good news to the city, but be good news for the city. And I love that. You know, of course we're called to share it with our words, but we're called to be it where we are. And I think we need to apply our faith to all the spheres of our lives, to our business, to family, to art, to education, to politics. It cannot be limited to simply coming to church or participating in programs as good as they are. What Jesus does in the church flows to the city. And we have a city that needs healing. So there you go. What Jesus did in the church flew to the city, but also what Jesus communicated, he also demonstrated. Okay, so this is something in the passage, but it's also a principle for the kingdom of God as well. What Jesus communicated, he also demonstrated. Just a few verses earlier in Mark chapter 1, Jesus spoke about the kingdom of God. He said this, quite famous words, you may have heard of them. He said, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And what Jesus was saying was, he was communicating, he was proclaiming, the kingdom of God is here. It's here now, he was saying. It's at hand. And then, so he proclaimed it. But he didn't just stop at saying it, he went on to demonstrate it. Jesus was demonstrating what he was communicating. He was demonstrating that the kingdom of God has arrived. Not just saying it with his words, but um, 
pointing that out or living that out or proclaiming that through his actions and through his power. And his kingdom wasn't like a geographical place as some people thought or assumed, but it was God's rule and reign in every place on earth. It was characterized by love and grace and healing and joy. Broken things are made, were made new. Lost things are found and tears are wiped away. And yes, Jesus preached through his sermons, but he also preached through his healings. You see, there's more in the miracles of Jesus than simply their outward appearance, but they're demonstrating the kingdom of God. Jesus heals because healings preach. They're signs pointing to the power of God. They're like parables proclaiming the truth about God. They contain a much deeper meaning than just the things that we might see. They say something loudly to a people who are hard of hearing. They show that God sees that God cares about brokenness and broken things and broken people. They scream that people are sick and people are in bondage and desperately need a saviour. They proclaim that Jesus has power over everything. Everything we fear, including disease, the devil, and even death itself. Healing is a sermon to a sick and dying world. And we need sermons, we need all sorts of sermons, but we also need to see the opportunities and the the, uh, stories and, and examples of God's healing that point to his power. You see, it's clear to me that one of the ways that Jesus demonstrates his kingdom is through healing. And that's one, one of the ways that he still demonstrates his kingdom today. The kingdom of God is about word and truth, but it's also about signs and wonders. And I don't know how we could read the New Testament and arrive at any other conclusion. What Jesus was communicating, he went on to demonstrate as well. And I wonder if we demonstrate our faith in action, not just by the words that we say, but by the prayers that we pray. Um, a friend of ours, Carl Martin, um, pastor in Church in Edinburgh says that there's a difference between a prayer list and a to-do list. You might have heard this from the front. I don't know if Dave shared this. Um, There's a difference between a prayer list and a to-do list. And perhaps he says that many of the things that we end up praying are things that we can actually do ourselves. You know, help us to be more loving or help us to serve. And what he says is that if we can actually do the things that we're praying for, then we should stop praying about them, start doing them, and start praying some bigger prayers. If we're praying for the things that we can actually do, then stop praying about them, start doing them, and start praying some bigger prayers. Or is it your prayer list a prayer list, or is it a to-do list? Because if it's achievable in your strength, then we should just get on and do it. But if we can't do it, then we should pray for it. We've sang it already today. And so I think if you've sang it, you've probably declared it and you believe it. No work too hard for him. In faith, receive from him. Do we believe that? We've communicated today. We've proclaimed that today. I think we also need to demonstrate that as well. How would that lead us to pray if we really believed that? What would the demonstration of that be? No work too hard for him. In faith, receive from him. It might lead me to pray for things that I can't do on my own. It might lead me to pray for things in boldness and and with expectancy that God can move and do things in our lives. What are you praying for right now? And how is it marked with boldness and 
expectancy and faith. What are you praying for? And how are you demonstrating the faith in, in, in how you're serving and in how you're praying? Um, I, I love what happens in the story. At the end of the story of uh, uh, when Jesus heals Peter, mother, Peter's mother-in-law here in the story, it says that he touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and released an autobiography. Sorry, it doesn't say that. I've misquoted it. Uh, he touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and uh, tweeted about it and it went viral. <laughs> He touched her hand, the fever left her, and she got up and what? Began to serve him. I love it. The first thing she did was to get up and start serving Jesus. Once she was healed, she served. And transformation by the king in this story led to participation in his kingdom. What Jesus did in her, she wanted to, her response to that was that she wanted to start serving him. Jesus had done a work in her and now she wanted to do a work for him. And I love that. And I think, yes, we marvel at this, these stories and these examples and these, um, we see Jesus as healer and we see how he is demonstrating his kingdom. But I think we demonstrate the kingdom of Jesus by participating in his kingdom. The outcast came near to Jesus. The woman began to serve. The leper took a brave step later on in this passage. So how well are we serving? We need to put feet on our faith. In response to the miracle that Christ has worked in you and in us, we should give our lives to serve. And what he does in us, he wants to do through us. And through Jesus, we've received healing, forgiveness, joy, family, hope, purpose, eternity, the list could go on. And in response, we give ourselves. We give our lives to serve. And that involves all of us. It involves us all. If you're in Christ today, then you are called to participate in his kingdom, no matter what age or stage, no matter our abilities or our disabilities, we are called to serve. We ev- all of us have a part to play. Whoever you are, whatever you do, you have a part to play. Our role isn't on the sidelines, watching the experts play. It's on the pitch. We're called to be servants, not spectators. We're to demonstrate what Jesus communicated. And that involves all of us. So we too are called to demonstrate what Jesus communicated. We're called to do that as well. He communicates so much in his word of our, what our actions are to be, our posture to be. And, and in order to communicate this to a, a hurting world and broken world, we are to demonstrate this through our lives. We're to demonstrate the love that he speaks of. But we're also to demonstrate the healing that he proclaimed through our prayers and also through our lives. Lastly, today last principle that I see in this passage is that there were different methods but the same source. Different methods but the same source. You see, I find the contrast of these two healings really interesting. I wonder if you noticed it as it was read. One healing took place in public, you know, big synagogue, and the other in private. One took place in a church, a place of public worship. One took place in a place of private intimacy, I guess, a home. The the man is healed by the power of Jesus' words and the other, the woman, was healed through the power of Jesus' touch. And through both healings, Jesus is bringing his transforming power. 
into these lives and situations. His words carry authority, and his words bring and his touch brings power, and they both lead to transformation. But I think Jesus is also revealing that He's Lord over it all, and He can bring healing in a multitude of different ways. And as we see Jesus as as healer throughout the rest of the Gospels, we find that there's a whole variety of different ways that Jesus healed. I mean, one of them involved spitting and mud, and that being applied to someone's eyes in a prayer. I mean, you couldn't make these up in that sense. There's so many different ways that Jesus healed. There was no fixed formula to follow for Jesus as a healer. Some healings were sudden dramatically sudden, and some of them were gradual. Some were through his touch, and others were through his word. Some were in the flesh. Others were even healed, and they weren't even near. It was remotely from a distance. Jesus is saying, go now. Your faith has made your servant well, Matthew 8, I think that is. And as he continues to work and move and act today, there remains no fixed formula to follow. There's no magic hankies. Or, or, or there's no religious rituals, you know, that we can sort of encant so that people get healed. People are healed through miraculous prayer. I've seen it. And they're healed through modern medicine. People, transformation can happen both physically in people's lives, but it also happens spiritually. Lives are changed suddenly and lives are changed gradually. And if you ever hear people tell you that God will only act if you pray in a certain way or he will only heal if you do certain things, then be very cautious. All healing is grace. All of it is gift. And while the method might change, the source always remains the same. Healing can only come through Jesus Christ. And while you and I might at times of our lives get the privilege of having a front row seat in some miraculous moments of transformation, healing only comes in his name. And transformation only by his power and through his spirit. Jesus' words still carry authority. They continue to bring power and will lead us to transformation. And so that should grow faith and expectancy in us, despite our limitations as I began (laughs) We should have hope and faith because it's not based on our abilities, but it's based on his power. And I want to ask you to consider or think or reflect today, how expectant are you? And maybe if I could broaden that, how expectant are we in this community, in this church, in our everyday lives to see and know this king of transformation and healing? You know, perhaps I'm not receiving because I'm not asking. What might we ask for as a church or as a community? And what might, re- what might we receive from the God of healing? Because we live in a time where the kingdom of God is seen in glimpses on earth. It's here. That's what Jesus said, isn't it? In Mark chapter 1, the kingdom of God has come. The kingdom of God is here. It's now, and we see glimpses of it every day, but it's also not yet as we wait for the full establishment of it to come. The kingdom of God, I think healing is a gift that's available for the present, but it's also a foretaste for the future. And I believe that some people get healed immediately, even today, for the glory of God and for his compassion on his people. God hasn't changed. He still sees and he still cares. But I also believe 
that we won't always receive the physical healing that we might desire right now. And so many people wait and will wait. And as they wait for healing, they will show to the world that some people still love God even when it hurts. And I be- because I believe that his power is made perfect in weakness. Some will ask and receive now, so let's be people who ask. But also some will wait and receive later in full. And God has promised that there will be full healing someday. Because he promised in Revelation 21, he says that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall, be, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That's the very definition of faith. We glimpse it here, and we long for it, and we pray for it, and we'll ask for it, and we'll believe for it. We'll glimpse it here, but we'll wait and for God's unfolding kingdom to be seen in full in the future. There's no fixed formula, but there's one constant source. So we don't attach ourselves to a method. We attach ourselves to the source, and the source is Jesus. I love this quote. I may be gone past it, Ross, actually, for you, but this quote that I read earlier today, it said, whenever and wherever this kingdom advances on earth, the sick will be healed, the hungry fed, the poor provided for, and injustice will be overturned. Now, we'll see it. We'll see glimpses of this now, but we'll also hang on and hold on and walk by faith in the meantime as we wait for the full unfolding of all of that one day. And so I think it's obvious today as we gather that it will be obvious for us to be calling out to Jesus for him to heal situations, things in our lives and also in lives of people that we know. We would love to do that today. You might want to do that as you sit there on your, you know, on your own where you are, but you'd also, we would also encourage you to do that with others as well. And so it might be asking someone else to do that. And that's why we uh, encourage you to seek out our prayer ministry team after each of our gatherings to pray with others and to ask you in a moment of weakness to um, ask someone else to pray for you and pray over you and pray prayers of healing for you. So we want to open that up today. We want to encourage you to do that and point you towards that. Uh, as part of our gathering. But I also want to remind us all of the source, that we all remain fixed on him as the source of our lives and the source of our healing. What God wants to do through us, he first wants to do in us. And so I want to encourage you today to maybe refix, if that's a word, refix your focus on Jesus as the source. Not the methods that you know we might employ, not be fixed on a method, but be fixed on the Savior. And so in a moment, I'm going to pray, but I just want to leave sort of the moment of, of quietness for you to pray your own prayers of faith and expectancy for where you would want to see Jesus heal. I've talked about a load of stuff in terms of people's lives, but also the city. What is broken that you would love to see healed? Who is broken that you would love to see healed? I'll pray in a moment, and then we'll sing together. I encourage you to really seek out our prayer ministry team afterwards who would love to pray over you. 
and also remind us all of the source. Let's pray.